What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 165, you heard that right Combo Nation, episode 165 of Combos Court and I am Combo, hope everybody is staying safe out there, let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court and share this episode with a friend via social media or word of mouth. Today's show, Seth Part Now of The Athletic joins in. Seth is a former director of basketball research with the Milwaukee Bucks. A great and interesting conversation with Seth. Think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. You could find Seth on Twitter at Seth Part Now. That's S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Also known as Anchorage Man on Twitter. You know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Seth Partnow of The Athletic, uh, welcome to Combos Court. How are you feeling today? I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, making it through another day of uh, sheltering in place. You know, speaking of that, are you surprised by the way the basketball analytic community has embraced covering uh, COVID-19? I heard your podcast, Nerder, she wrote, and I've heard Ben Taylor and um, Nate Duncan talk about COVID quite often. Are you surprised by that, or is that something you figure would happen during this pandemic? Um, it's a good question. Um. It's hard to turn it off, and so I think the the struggle probably within the broader analytics community is trying to figure out whether to say anything and what to say and kind of when to realize, oh, I don't actually know anything about this. I should shut up. Um, and I think that, you know, we've, without going too deep into this, because I'm sure it's not where you want to go, but, you know, there's, you know, there's been a lot of kind of strange modeling thrown out there and, and it's the kind of thing that if you're not a uh, if you don't have the sufficient subject matter knowledge to really do it well you can do something that's that you know has very harmful real world consequences so i think that um it's a fine line people have have been trying to walk between like helping to decipher some of the stuff and not getting out over their skis in terms of of you know visualizations or presentations or modeling and stuff like that do you feel your passion is more in basketball or looking at numbers and data and coming to conclusions? Uh, more in basketball, definitely. Um, I, I kind of uh, – analytics were sort of the side door of kind of that, – that, that got me into the, the, uh, the world of professional basketball. And by professional basketball, I mean like, you know, working in and around basketball as a career, not, not just like, you know, the NBA circle. What was your – let's start with you. What was your role with the Bucs uh, while you were there and title? Uh, my title was director of basketball research. Um, essentially, that's uh, you know there, there's 30 teams, 30 different kind of naming conventions for what the roles are. I mean, it's essentially the I was the head of the analytics department for the three years that I was there. What years was that? Uh, obviously, I got hired in the summer of 16, so right. 16, 17 through uh, the end of last season. I uh, left in July of 2019, so 16, 17, 17, 18, 18, 19. 
was there a shift in the way analytics was used in the league during the time you were there? And what was that if there was? Um, I think it's, I mean, there's just sort of an ongoing um, kind of continual shift as kind of the, the technology gets better understood and the methodology um, becomes more widely accepted. Um, it's not, it's not a linear uh, thing uh, by any means. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there, there is some degree of like two steps forward, one step back uh, in places. But um, I think it's obviously, you know, the, the, the use of it has, has only continued to grow um, even from, you know, summer of, of 2016 when I was hired to now, I would guess back of the envelope, there's 40% more full-time jobs in the league. Wow. Uh, for 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 analytics professionals than there were even like three or four years ago. So how many full-time workers in the analytic department would you say there is per team? And does it vary from team to team? It, it varies widely from team to team. There are some teams that have, um, there are, at this point, there are a few te- only a few teams that have kind of uh, someone who's the analytics guy who is probably more of a scout who knows how to use Excel. That has okay. largely been phased out. Um uh, but even that being phased out was relatively recently. But there's some places where it's kind of a a, a one person shop, and um, other places where you kind of have to get you know who are you counting between like the the sports science, the uh, the IT, the the you know uh, someone in, in doing like information systems for scouting. Um, so who you who counts as being like an analytics person uh, can right. can affect that. I mean, there you know if you wanted to count. Broadly, there are probably, I would say, two, two, probably two teams that you could probably get to double digits on. Wow. Um, I would say that the most common size is probably around three, though. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Probably thought we were going here. I'm, I'm sure you hear this a lot. I often hear people say the mid-range is dead. I don't believe that to be the case. Uh, I guess maybe with role players, you could say that's the case. We don't see yeah. a lot of spot up mid-range shots when you hear somebody say that what is your response to them and what goes through your head when you hear somebody say the mid-range is dead um i think it's it's someone who i tend to think it's someone who is uh has just heard heard that said and doesn't really understand what it means um i think you the way you put it is exactly right um you you don't see your your fourth best offensive player is not spotting up for a 17 footer anymore um, right. You know, we, this is this, the, the, kind of the latest round of the mid range stuff uh, kind of came out of uh, the last, the last dance documentary. Uh, Michael Jordan took a lot of pull up mid rangers. Uh, the best players today take a lot of pull up mid rangers. Cause you know, that's sometimes working against a 24 second shot clock. That's the shot you can get. And if you're and the re, the reason the guy ends up with the ball at the end of the shot clock is your best player is he's the one who can kind of make lemonade out of uh, lemons in, in, in that situation. Like you don't want to end there, but if that's where you end up, it's better to have someone who could hit that shot at, you know, 45, 46% instead of, you know, 35, 36%. Like it's not, I don't, I don't think you need a, a degree in math to see that one of those is better than the other. <laughs> right, right. It's funny. I was watching some old MJ games and Charles Oakley was actually pretty good at the spot up mid range. I wonder if he would have been able to stretch that out in this era. I mean, I, that, that is always a fascinating thing is, is I, I actually wrote an article about Jordan, like extending the three point and you, you know, you, one of the things that, that getting into it, like it, just watching the, the documentary again, is that that shot he hit to win the national championship against Georgetown, there's not even an arc on the court. 
So how could he have worked on it? Because it doesn't even right. exist. So yeah, I mean, if, if a guy like Charles Oakley, I mean, they're, they're not totally the same player, but like Paul Millsap can shoot threes. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think it's that hard for any NBA player uh, in this era to translate. They would just shoot more of them. They would practice more of them. Like Scottie Pippen would have been a better corner three-point shooter in this yeah. day and age. Yeah, and, and, you know, not everyone is, is going to be able to, but, like, mo- like, guys who were good back then would have been credible for the most part. Like, for sure. was Isaiah Thomas ever going to be a great three-point shooter? Maybe, maybe not. Would he be someone that you couldn't just wave your hand at him and say, go ahead? Probably not. You know what's funny? Did you see the 1983 ACC three-point line? It, like, went through the key. Did you know about that? <laughs> what? Oh, my goodness. Was it? Google it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So it was like a like a nineteen like a like a sixteen footer as a three pointer from the top. I think it was ridiculous. Oh you man, got- I would have like if that had been the line like when I was playing, I would have post shot post up threes. Where did you play? Uh, well, I I mean I, I I played growing up. I played for a year at uh, Carlton College in uh, okay. Minnesota. Okay, okay. Oh, um, I, I was a I was a uh, I was a chucker guard, not a not a post player. But I still would have found a way to like you know drop step. You, you're telling me I get three points for shooting like a drop step seventeen footer. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach myself that shot. Right, that shot that Christian later hit would have been yeah. If they right. would have had that. So I mean, do do you have you ever looked into Jordan's numbers and data and kind of put into context how his game would translate today and how many I mean it's a hot topic now so yeah jump on one hot topic what do you think he would average in today's NBA I mean you know he'd be one of the he'd instantly be one of the three or four best players like you know the 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 difference in his athleticism and the top end athletes today is probably is is you know even taking into account the better training methods now he'd be right there it's he's he just he wouldn't be as dominant athletically because everyone else has gotten better. Not that he would be, you know, he'd be, he'd be right there with the, you know, the, the, the Kawhis and whoever in terms of, of, of athleticism and, and strength and skill. So he'd instantly be uh, right there. We actually talked about this with, uh, with uh, David Thorpe um, a couple weeks ago and like, yeah, there'd be, he, he would probably, if he was playing today, he probably would have had to tighten his handle up a little bit. But he was a right. he was a great shooter. Like you, you know, he shot the ball pretty well from mid range. He was a an eighty some percent free throw shooter. Um, you know, the years he decided to shoot threes, he shot them well. He would have been he would have been just fine. You know? Yeah, I and think he, some I think <laughs> some people would think that that take is like almost underrating him. They many people would feel like he would just be by far the most dominant player in today's NBA. So I I mean I think that that part of that just doesn't understand kind of the the uh how rule changes have have affected how player everyone talks about oh you can't hand check um well in those days you couldn't you know you, you watch uh you think about the 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 shot he he hit to beat utah in that last game uh and like he isos on on brian russell and right before he shoots like rodman kind of cuts across, across the nail to the corner and antoine carr goes with him now if you're guarding today if you're guarding a non-shooter and he kind of drifts off to the corner there Antoine Carr just stands at the nail and says, come to me. And, right. and in those days, that's illegal defense. So it was kind of, even though people weren't spacing to the three-point line, you could still, you could, you could create space with non-shooters easily because you still had to, quote, guard them, even if that guy's never going to hit that shot. So I think that, that kind of affects the areas of the court that, that people can play out of uh, in, in subtle but important ways. Do you like Kirk's Goldberry uh, idea to bring out the three-point line? Um, 
let me see. It's I'm of two minds about it. Um, it's you have to be very careful because if you push it too far out, then essentially you just destroy offense all over the game. Because if the defense doesn't have to, if, if you push it far enough out that there are very few players who could actually shoot from that far. No spacing. Uh, there's no spacing. Yeah. Then there's yeah. no reason. There's no reason for to not have five guys just stand around the rim and say, shoot your 17 footer. Um, and so that like the, the, you know, people complain about there being too many jump shots now, like, okay, have five, you know, Stan Van, remember Stan Van Gundy, uh, form a wall that become, that would become the defense if you push it out too far. So I, um, I, you know, I am, I am uh, cognizant of, of people saying that they don't like the amount of three pointers that are shot now that, that that's fair enough. Um, you just have to make sure that, uh, you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you think that it's to the point where there should be kind of a rule change to address it. Yeah, and what would you do with the corner three? I think that's always the big question. Um, I mean, I, I ideally I would you know make the make the line uniform, but actually the fun the funny thing is is, is something that I've actually found um, is that the that the that extra like foot and a bit of difference doesn't actually matter that much. It's corner threes are better because they're open because it's you know you think about a guy standing at the top of the key. Uh, you like you, you get the defense in ro- rotation. You can rotate from anywhere on the court to like contest a guy at the top of the, at the top of the key. There's kind of only one spot you can you can run from to get to the corner. So it's just it's it's uh, if a guy is open in the corner, he's likely to stay open because it's it's harder for the defense to get to him. And that's the bigger reason why corner threes are better shots than there tend to be like higher percentage shots than other threes is because they they are open. Just yeah. by by virtue of of you know how the court lays out. Yeah, I always felt myself as a player. Um, it was a lot more. It was a lot easier to shoot from the wing in the corner than the top. Like I always thought that was a. I mean, I some some people just had it in their game. Right. But I always thought it was uh, a lot easier to shoot from the wing in the corner. I think that's most players. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're talking about you know the the you know you're you're shooting from the slot right just yeah. like that the, the straight on the straight on angle is just kind of funny yeah definitely yeah but you get it you get like the you know you get the you get off angle a little bit you get the depth you kind of get the depth perception a little bit yeah for sure but i i, I but I, I don't think that was that about was, was it ever to you did it feel like the corner three was just like you know you'd, you'd underhand it or something like that or was it you know you uh or did it feel like a, a similarly comfortable shot than the, than, you know, the wing three that was, you know, a foot and a half longer. Actually, the wing three was probably more comfortable for me, to be honest. Okay. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say the corner three was way less comfortable. I just think I hit my most, the most amount of threes I hit in my career were probably from the wings. Sure. Well, how, here, so how much did you play with the ball in your hands? Well, every situation was so different for me when yeah. I played overseas. So, yeah. I mean, but I, I loved having the ball in my hands, but yeah. definitely played off the ball as well. But yeah, wing but, threes, spot up wing threes, for spot up shots, I definitely hit most from the wing. Yeah. Well, no, that's I mean that's again that's a not to not to you know go go crazy on 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 the the stat stuff with you, but like if you you look at the players who end up taking corner threes, they're guys who are just who are who are not on ball players. So if you if you were playing in a situation where you had the ball, like you're not gonna you're just not gonna end up in the corner as much. You know, you're you're gonna right. end up on on the wings more. So it's you know, that's probably part of why it was more comfortable because you just ended up there more just by kind of, for sure. You, know, you think about it, you, you don't really want the ball in the corner. 
Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if it gets there, if it gets there in the guy's open, he shoots great. If he doesn't, like, oh, okay, we're we're stuck in you're a trap now. You're trapped. Yeah. yeah, you're trapped for sure. Yeah, two extra defenders, two extra defenders yeah. for sure. Have you, uh, Seth? Have you had a chance to dig into the draft? Who do you like? Um, I've been coming to the conclusion that I think Anthony Edwards would be my top prospect, um, but it's not as clear cut as the past few years when I was really high on Luca and I was high on John Morant. Um, not to toot my own horn, I just was. That, 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 you could go back to, like, old podcasts, and yeah. that's what it was. But this year is obviously a lot tougher to say who will be the definitive best player in this draft. I would go with Anthony Edwards for now. Who do you like in this year's draft? If you, um, I, 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 First of all, I can't claim to have studied this year's draft super well. The, to the extent I have, I'm glad okay. that I don't have to care about it, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I'm not I'm, – I am, I am, you know – the last couple of years, there's been a lot of really interesting players. I'm there are, I mean, there are some interesting players. There are guys further down. I, I like, uh, I like Tyrese Halliburton. Yes. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big Paul Reed guy from DePaul. I think, I think Paul Reed is going to be good. I've watched a lot of film on Halliburton. I think he has yeah. one, he's one of the best passers in the draft, yeah. uh, a little bit light. So he might yeah. have to gain some pounds, but so what do you like about his game? Oh, just what you said, like his, his, his you know, he's got the, the, the passing vision. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, uh, obviously, great frame needs to fill out some. Um, kind of a, a funky shot, but yes. it, and and it, it it takes him a while to load it up, but it goes in. Um, and you know, from a stat standpoint, has got some. You know, you what you you've probably heard that that you know draft like uh, draft modelers like to look at steal rate because um, that kind of that that's we've sort of found that's a good indication of you know not combine athleticism where okay i'm gonna i'm gonna you know jump and hit 44 inches or whatever but like like functional athleticism like my my reaction speed and ability to make a play on the ball in the game and so that like i think that, that that's why we think and that's you know that's a function of his length of his ability to read the game and kind of the degree to which he's 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 a, he's a twitchy athlete um so yeah. that so that's so so he's a guy like and you know he's from he's from Wisconsin so you know I'm 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 not from here originally but uh, he, but uh, he's from uh, Pride of Oshkosh so we gotta okay. gotta uh, you know raise the raise the flag when we can. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, have you put any any thought into how Melo's game will translate to the next level in terms of a floor and a ceiling and what players he compares? You know, NBA can comparisons. Shoot? Can you shoot? I mean, uh, it's like he hasn't he does, proved it. Yeah, like you know, he like can he, if he can't shoot, like the the sort of an obvious comparison is Ricky Rubio, but Ricky Rubio, yes. but Ricky Ricky Rubio is an excellent defender, um, yeah. and and especially in like help situations, and I don't feel confident saying that you know that that that's what Melo's gonna be, um. So, you know, kind of what is he then? You know, I, there's a lot of people who, who the, the fact that he is getting as much buzz at the top of the draft, I think says a lot about this draft. I'll, I'll put it that way. Like, I think he's, he is a, a, a very intriguing prospect, obviously, the, you know, the size, the vision, um, you know, you can, you can see something there. But I, but I feel like, you know, you put him now in last year's draft and where does he go? You know, yeah. like... Like obviously, like Zion and and Jaw were just you know as prospects, just just streets streets ahead of of where he is. You know, uh, Wiseman seems like a great fit for Golden State, and I think he is. But in general, 
Would you be concerned or skeptical about, I would say skeptical is more the right, uh, is the right word of drafting a big at number one or even top five in today's modern NBA? I mean, he's tough for me just because, you know, where I live, there's just not a lot to go on. There's not, there's yeah. played three, three games. One of them was against real competition. It, it, you know, what, what do I say about that? You know, um, I, I, th- I feel like there's there's there are enough instances of a guy being a, a super hyped high school prospect who gets to big time college play and it turns out that he was just you know beating up on on overmatched kids with his physical advantage and so I do need to I I, I very much like to see a guy even for just a year just kind of prove it okay prove your prove you know you move up that level of competition you're still among the elites. Um, and, you know, you, you, so that's why you just worry about a guy who, who hasn't, you know, through no fault of his own, hasn't had a chance to prove that either way. So that's not, it's not saying he can't, it's just saying you haven't seen it, so it's riskier. And that's before we even get into, like, you know, what, what his skill set fit would be in the modern game. So it's kind of, there's a lot of, yeah. it's one more thing to be worried about. Yeah. Um, can he, you know, can he play facing the basket? I don't know, you know. Yeah. Like everyone thinks they can, but then again, you know, you get to, can you, like you watch, you watch Mitchell Robinson and his like workout videos and he's crossing people over and, and whatever. But I don't think we're going to be seeing that from him in like NBA games anytime soon. For sure. And I mean, he's going to be a, a good NBA player because he's a rim protector and he can run the team. Yeah. 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 He has a certain skill set that translates. Yeah. Now, and again, in the, in, 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 now you're drafting at the top of the draft. You kind of want to have that like, superstar upside but where is it, you know again where is that in this this draft like you can you can say you know you like you, you like one guy someone else likes another you can say they have the most but if it, there isn't that much to begin with then maybe a guy is like no I'm pretty sure he's going to be a solid player and that's that's our best bet in this in this particular draft and that might be this kind of year like there are years that are just kind of like that like the yeah. uh um, the Victor Oladipo year was 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 a little bit like that, where it's like hey, you, Cleveland took a swing on Anthony Bennett, and you know, oh wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oops, but yeah. you know, uh, I mean, there they, I, there were some things why he why he didn't work out that you know was he got, he got hurt and put in a bad spot, and maybe in a different spot he it would have been better for him, but but still, like. Too, like you take a big swing and sometimes it just doesn't work for you. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's going to be a lot of unknowns, uh, not even wise, but just with everybody because we're not going to have a regular draft process. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, obviously you look at, I mean, I'm talking about the 2013 draft. Like you look down and obviously who's the, who, who, who is, who would be the number one pick if we did it now, it'd be honest, but you're telling me, you know, at that point you can see what he is now. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know enough to make him the and, and so that's kind of like yeah there there might be someone further down the draft who is that but it's not just saying that that one of these guys is that it's you know if you're making the decisions that guy that guy's the one uh and and picking that out and being right and you know that's that's a that's that's why they get you know you, that gamble you need to that's why they get the big bucks to to make those decisions yeah, speaking of Giannis, it's funny you mentioned Giannis because, you know, you always hear people saying, is he good enough? And I'm, actually, this is not even specifically at Giannis. I guess it could be. But you always hear people saying, can he be the best player on a championship team? And I always think about, well, who's on the rest of your team? Yeah. I mean, it, it, 
what do you think would deciphering that? So Giannis is good enough that yes, the answer is yes. Okay. Um, you get you have a guy who's a, you know, wherever you want to say like the you know, it's arguing your favorite flavor of ice cream. Who's the who, who's the best player in the NBA right now? Is it is it Giannis? Is it LeBron? Is it? Kawhi? I don't I don't think Giannis is is is, is, is but you know but you can you know you you can make a reasonable argument for yeah. any one of yeah. three or four guys. And if so, if you have one of those guys that you can make the reasonable argument for, yes, you have a guy who's good enough. Now you take the next cut down of guys, like you start to get into, I don't know, uh, Luca, Joel Embiid, yeah, Nicole. It's Yogi. crazy how Luca's in that conversation already. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but you start to get into there, and it's like, yeah, you can, but then like, who else you got around him? Like, it, like who else you got around him always matters matters a great deal, but it's just, you know, your margin for error. If, if, you know, you have one of those, you know, one a guys is so much larger than if you have a one B guy. And then if you have like a, you yeah. know, like a, like a two a guy, then it's like, if everything goes perfectly, we could win a championship. Yeah. And, so it's, and that's why, you know, the, yeah, you probably need a top five guy most of the time. But the problem is there's only five of them. So, right. You know, the Pistons figured it out back in the day, right? I mean, the Pistons, you know, but you, you, you think about it, the Pistons had three Hall of Famers. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, the Pistons had, you know, talk about the Pistons as a team with no superstars. Pistons, that was, like, that was a super talented team. Like, they had a lot of top end. Oh, yeah, definitely. On that team. Super deep. And, and, yeah, but also, like, you know, you talk about, like, Ben Wallace is one of the best defensive players in the last 20 years. You know, Rasheed yes. Wallace is, you know, probably you know there with him as as just a, a great defender and 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 super impactful all-around guy and then you know phillips obviously yes great two-way guard and you know i don't think hamilton was on the level of those players but he was still an excellent player and you know tayshawn prince is kind of you know plugging in where they needed to be and they had you know they had memo kerr and they had they had a squad yes for sure no i'm with you i'm with you um i wanted to end with this uh what have you learned? Because I heard you talk about this on a podcast. What have you learned about basketball from studying or looking at data at uh, in other sports? Um, you there's there's just certain commonalities in how sports work. Um, you know, you we've learned in sports analytics, most stuff has kind of come out of baseball because that was kind of the one that was there first, and so a lot of the early basketball stuff was trying to you know, okay, the game is not as stop-start as baseball, but we yes. can break it down in a way that it kind of looks like that. So, okay, we're going to look at possession by possession and judge each possession. And, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense because you, you kind of, you, you remove a lot of the kind of the complicating things that might make it hard. But then you look at a sport like, you know, you look at a sport like hockey or soccer where like the transition from offense to defense is so important. And then you, you look at that in basketball and you see actually, no, like, like the way the thing starts has a great deal of impact on the way it ends. Like if I get a steal, that's that, that uh, we're going to do better on offense than if you dunk on me. Like, that's just, you know, right, right. Like, you know, there may be, there, there may be a situation where you like, you know, you dunk on me and you spend five seconds woofing and we get a fast break. Okay. One time. But for the most part, like if I get a steal, we're going to get a good look. And if I'm taking the ball out of the net, it's going to be tougher for us. So just like, you know, looking at how, how one thing leads into the next um, to kind of, of relax that assumption of like, you know, possession, stop, 
possession, stop, possession, stop, which is kind of how, how the, the baseball method for doing it, like it makes it more complicated, but it also makes it a truer representation of what, what is actually happening on the court. Seth, very interesting. Great stuff. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. Please Absolutely. stay safe and uh, let us know where we could find you on uh, social media and everywhere else. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Seth Partnow. Uh, Anchorage Man is the handle because I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm originally from Anchorage, Alaska. Okay. Um, and uh, I find my work on uh, The Athletic a couple times a week. And uh, uh, Nerdish Wrote podcast with uh, my, my uh, co-host Dave and Moe uh, every Thursday morning. Uh, on the uh, on the uh, back-to-back feed on from the athletic, great stuff. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. Stay safe and talk soon. Thanks to everyone who listens to Combos Court across the globe. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. And thanks to Seth for joining in. We appreciate you, Combo Nation. Let me know how you feel about the show right in the comments section of your Apple Podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court. And if you listen to this episode in its entirety, take a screenshot, post it on your IG stories, tag me at 1-2-Combo so I can share it. Be on the lookout for episode 166. Combo out.